Hello everyone and welcome back to the Wizard Staff. I'm your host Blake. And I'm Guy. And we are two drunk novices who like to talk about EDH. We do drink and swear, so you have been warned. Please drink responsibly when you're playing children's card games. Tonight, Guy and I are going to be talking about the new set Ikoria. Woo! Woo! Big old monsters. Monsters! Uh, yes. And earlier we did our Commander 2020 Precons review just before this, so if you want to listen to that, go check it out. Uh, but tonight we are talking about Ikoria. Yeah, it's cool because the Commander 2020 Precons that we just talked about are tied to this set. So a lot of the things that you will see in those Precons, you'll also kind of find over here. So it's great that they've been able to make the decks coincided with a set. So now you can buy the pre-constructed decks and then buy some booster packs enabled to just kind of like slot in some of the new cards as like easy upgrades. So, Guy, what are we drinking tonight? Well, just like last week, or <laughs> it is still quarantine time, and the grocery store that I go to is pretty low-key. They don't have a lot of fancy, flashy beers that, you know, when I would go to Whole Foods, I would find. So, mm -hmm. I just bought two packs of, uh, one pack of Guinness and one pack of Boddington's. So two very generic beers that I've had before. I know I like them. Going to be drinking that for probably the next couple episodes. And then when I go back to the grocery store, I'll pick up maybe something else. I feel like I'm in a very similar boat where I'm also slowly running out of options. Uh, my The store I go to is very limited, but I did manage to get something new. I got uh, No Lie Brew House Wrecking Ball Imperial Stout. It is a... 9.5 alcohol per volume beer and it actually goes down a lot smoother than I thought it would so I'm pleasantly surprised it's it's nice I like it it's dark but like it's actually drinkable awesome we're drinking two stouts Guinness is a stout uh -huh. it's probably this. the closest we're going to be able to come to matching during this quarantine time yeah. we hope that you guys are out there safe staying indoors washing your hands quarantined and playing children's card games. <laughs> that part too. Yeah. All right. So, the world of Ikoria. Uh, what, like, for those of you who aren't used to our set reviews, Guy and I first like to talk generally about the world, its new reprints, uh, its uh, general mechanics and flavor. Then we go on a card by card basis, talking about the new cards that can be your commander. Then we talk about the really good cards that go in the 99 and then at the very end of our reviews we talk about our final thoughts on the product as a whole so world of ikoria the way that this was teased to us back in august was big monsters and you are going to be able to make your own monsters i think ikoria has definitely lived up to that hype it's had some of the craziest mechanics that we've seen. We live on this world of humans versus monsters. It, the humans are kind of like 
sheltered, uh, sheltered in place uh, because there are these giant monsters that are, you know, continuously trying to break in and attack them. There are these crystals on Ikoria that, you know, give the creatures power to mutate, which is a keyword that we will shortly talk about. It's pretty interesting because it definitely does some of the things that we've seen in unsets before and it brings them to black border and if anyone in, out there has ever played monster hunter uh it feels a lot like that game yep that's actually very good point <laughs> all right so we're going to talk about the notable reprints from this set uh it's actually very short uh there's fertilid cathartic reunion and lead the stampede all cards with new art yeah all the reprints worth talking about were in the commander 2020 so if you want to learn more about those go listen to them yeah nothing nothing like awesome for here it's just yeah. kind of like a few goodies or just things that you know we've seen before and probably were just relevant to this set yeah, and any longtime listeners know that I now have lost part of the bet that I've had with Guy. I thought Fertilid was going to be reprinted in uh, the uh, upcoming Zendikar set, but I was wrong. It's reprinted now, so I guess I lose that bet. So I'm sad. <laughs> I don't. You don't. You definitely don't lose the bet overall. You could still, you know, get more cards than me. But oh, that's true. Another time, and it's not the Zendikar set. It's the Commander 2020 Green. Right. It's. It's hard to keep track of these days. Yes. All right, so new mechanics. Well, first, the way that this was teased to us, as we said, was build your own monsters, big monsters. So one mechanic that they have brought in is keyword counters, and it's pretty much exactly what you think. So you have the plus one, plus one counters. You have the minus one, minus one counters. These counters that you put onto creatures grant them an evergreen ability. So there's one for like flying, trample, first strike, double strike. Um, I think there's haste, menace, death touch. I think there's 10 total. I and believe they're, so. you, they're, they have these punch out counters that you can just like put on your creature and now you know that it has trample. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, very. it's great design. Mutate is an ability that we're not gonna go into too much stuff about here because over in commander 2020 there was a full deck about it so they kind of lined up the commander 2020 pre-cons so that they could kind of make a deck around an ability that is going to be with the new sets so like how there's energy sometimes with kaladesh when that came out uh it was kind of hard to build a commander deck around energy so they decided to do that for some of the new mechanics that we're going to be in this set. So mutate is one of them. Kind of high level. It would be like putting a creature onto another creature to make a creature evolve or like get new abilities. So you kind of like stack creatures on top of each other and you just have one new creature with just a lot of abilities, bigger threat, stronger, rawer. And if you're looking for a more in-depth uh, explanation of how it works you can listen to our commander 2020 uh, review we talked about that near the beginning as well but there's one more mechanic in this set though <laughs> and it's a doozy Ooh, yeah um, companion so <laughs> did you think 100 cards was a lot well 
Let me tell you, you can have 101 cards now in your deck. Well, kind of. Uh, so, <laughs> in Ikoria, there are these legendary creatures. There's one for each uh, guild or dual color. And they have this keyword called companion. Now, they are set aside for your side deck. Yes, EDH doesn't have a side deck, but the rules committee has allowed this to work. And so these creatures sit in your side deck. You reveal them at the beginning of your turn, at the beginning of the game. And they kind of sit in your sideboard and can be cast from your sideboard once per game if your deck meets a certain restriction, a deck building restriction. So one of the ones that was probably most talked about was Lutri, who has companion. Uh, every card in your deck that's non-land has to be uh, pretty much singleton. So Lutri could then sit in your sideboard and as long as your deck made those uh, deck building restrictions, deck building requirements, you could cast them once from the sideboard. Only once. And once he hits the battlefield, it's not like he can go back to the sideboard until your next game. He is then treated as a creature. He can be put into graveyard, into exile, never to be cast again. If he gets countered from the sideboard, goes to the graveyard. Boom, he is done. But Lutri was also banned, and we will kind of get into that a little more when we talk about That's him. later. These are companions, so you can run them as companions, or they're all legendary creatures, so you can build a deck around them too. If you want to build a deck around them, you do not need to meet these deck building restrictions. So it's crazy. Wacky. Wild. Insane. And then the last thing that we're going to talk about in terms of like new mechanics, and this isn't really a mechanic, but this is very worth noting because there's also been a lot of confusion around this. But it, this is the first time that Magic has done alter arts that are, that are more like skins. So kind of like in um, like Fortnite or like any kind of like war game, you can purchase new costumes for your characters and they take on like a new persona. So like in Fortnite, you could become John Wick or like Darth Vader, whatever. So for Ikoria, since this is all big monsters, they teamed up with Toho to make Godzilla cards. Now, the Godzilla cards have the Godzilla creatures on them and their names. So there's King Caesar, Awoken Titan. But under that, it references Snapdax, Apex of the Hunt, which is a real magic card. Because there are essentially two names for this, it you still have to take into account the magic name for it. So this doesn't mean that you could run King Caesar and Snapdex in a deck. You can only run one of them because they count for the same card. Card. So you have the okay. choice. That's it. 
All right. Well, that's a very hopefully good summary. Hopefully, that's not too convenient. Yeah. Hopefully, that doesn't no. get too confusing. Oh, I think that was. I think that was a pretty good summary of all the mechanics and like notable features of this world. That's also a very good transition to now start talking about uh, on a card by card basis all the new legendary creatures. So, Ooh. without further ado, let's start out this uh, wedge cycle of uh, mutate, kind of like boss monsters. They're kind of a wedge cycle here, and let's just start with the one guy that you just mentioned. Alright, so we got Snapdax, Apex of the Hunt. It is one red, white, black, legendary creature, dinosaur, cat, nightmare. It's a 3-5. And it has Mutate for two, and a hybrid black, red, white, white. It has Double Strike. And whenever this creature mutates, it deals four damage to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls, and you gain four life. Yeah, so this is one, I would agree, it's kind of meh. Um, it's the Mutate trigger doesn't even do that much and you have to mutate a lot to kind of like get the most value out of it um i think the only thing i also just want to mention about the wedge cycle of mutate cards in general for this mythic rare is the way that uh it's kind of funny the mana cost lines up with the creature type so all these wedge mutated creatures that are mythics have three creature types so the red is associated with dinosaurs White is associated with cats. Black is associated with nightmares. Green is associated with beasts. And blue is associated with elementals. Yep. So the way that it's written on the card is the same way that you will see it as a wedge. We will move on to Brokos, Apex of Forever. Ooh. Two black, green, blue. Legendary creature, nightmare, beast, elemental, 6-6. Six, six. He has mutate for two and demir. Green, green. If you cast this, uh, sorry, um, trample, you may cast Brokos Apex of Forever from your graveyard using its mutate ability. This is one that I am actually personally very excited about, and I think this is, is going to be a legendary creature I'm going to build a deck around. I'm actually, you know, starting to think Brew in my head. <laughs> um, I kind of want to go Voltron with it just because the nice thing about him is getting around commander attacks and I think that's kind of the one of the tricky parts about some of these mythic mutates is their mutates tend to be higher than their converted mana cost so this is one that will actually always stay on par yeah I, it is always really nice to circumvent commander attacks I will say that's really nice I don't know how well you're going to be able to make this a Voltron strategy as someone who's played Voltron for like four years straight it's that's another topic. I don't know. I do like the fact that this is like self-recurrable from the grave, uh, and he's a very big broccoli boy. You know, all that that tree on trees on its back look, make it look like broccoli. Yeah, I. It reminds me of Hogak and Galta, and I think this is definitely the color with the most infect. So it might be like pseudo infect <laughs> Voltron kind of way. Because you know everybody loves infect. But it would just be such an easy way to like be able to do. The commander damage really easily or it get the infect damage in really quickly that's the that's the ultimate commander damage infect damage <laughs> all right so the next card we have is nethroy apex of death for two and white black green it's a legendary creature cat nightmare beast five five and it mutates for four uh green white black black yeah and it has death touch and lifelink and when this creature mutates, return any number of creature cards with total power 10 or less from your grave to the battlefield. 
like at the very worst this is just like amazing value even off just one mutate trigger this is pretty nice yes this is definitely one you probably only need to cast like once and you could probably get some like really nice cards that you've already put into your graveyard i mean you have access to green and black and we all know that's the color of dredge <laughs> my favorite mechanic so you'll be able to fill up your graveyard pretty quickly and then just boom tons of creatures that you know you'll be able to like combo off with and win that's the dream all right so next is fabric apex of thunder blue red white legendary creature elemental dinosaur cat its mutate is one azorius red red it has flying first strike Whenever this creature mutates, you may cast non-creature card with converted mana cost 3 or less from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. It's fine. I, I wanted this because it's Dinosaur Cat, and in the Jeskai one, there is also Dinosaur Cat tokens. I think it just would have been really cute if you had like this kind of Dinosaur Cat tribal. Like That's how I would want to build this, as like just a fun like tier... not tier... Um, <laughs> power level 3. Uh, <laughs> deck where it's just like I just have a bunch of dinosaur cats wow oh, that's cute yeah I mean it's a nice triggered ability uh, casting stuff for free is always great but being restricted to mutate does kind of suck I will say that like it mutate is a little bit hard to evaluate uh, even with all the cards uh, spoiled but like I recently like learned that you can like do this and dockside and like a bounce spell to like loop with Dockside, so you get like infinite treasures, <laughs> which is like pretty cool. Ooh, uh, so no, yeah, I yeah, that's infinite mana. <laughs> yeah, eh, Dockside's a pretty good card. It's almost like we called it one of the best cards of that set. <clears throat> uh, most people have figured that out by now. We're nothing special, uh, but no, I think this is definitely one of the better of this cycle. All right, we come to our last of this sort of cycle. We have Iluna, Apex of Wishes. It is two green blue and red for a legendary creature beast elemental dinosaur that's six six it has a mutate cost of three and gruel blue blue and as flying and trample whenever this creature mutates exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land permanent card put that card onto the battlefield or into your hand so this is also a pretty nice triggered ability uh but again it's restricted to uh mutate just like how Blake said, this is the only set that has mutate in it, so your pool for mutating cards is very limited, um, and it just gets a little less, it gets a little more restrictive, unless if you just plan to run a lot of mutate cards. Um, at worst, you could just be able to get like one trigger when you're casting your commanders for the mutate costs. Uh, any additional triggers, you just need to make sure you have a lot of mutate cards or are just recasting your commander. But mutate doesn't get around commander attacks, so with all these having higher mutate costs, it's just gonna kinda slow you down. They're strong, but I don't see these being like super impactful and at least competitive uh, EDH. Yeah, probably not. Brokos uh, is still my favorite. Yeah, he's a good broccoli boy. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Alright, we're going to move on to the 10 companions in this set, the mechanic we talked about earlier. Uh, so we're going to start off with Obosh, the Prey Piercer. It is 3 
and uh, Rakdos Rakdos. It is a legendary creature, Hellion Horror, for 3-5, with companion restriction of your starting deck contains only cards with odd CMC and land cards. If a source you control with an odd converted mana cost would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals double that damage to that permanent or player instead. This companion can be worked around sort of like uh, a Unette Crypt's Sovereign EDH deck. It, it can be worked around. Um, and this whole dealing double damage is very similar to like cards like Angras Marauders and Dictate of the Twin Gods and Furnace of Wrath. There's like some real desire for these this kind of effect where it deals the double damage and it's real group sluggy. Yeah, this seems pretty decent for casual. Yeah, unfortunately you can't run this in any of the Rakdos decks, which those are kind of like what any of the Rakdos like demon decks, just because like that's what they're really supposed to be doing is like doing a lot of damage. I will say that this does get really hard. You can't run it as the companion, at least. Yeah. So what uh, we're saying is don't run it as companion. Maybe run it as the commander or the 99. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the hard part about some of these cards. And this was like the first time where I was like getting a little frustrated evaluating <laughs> cards. It's just because... You have to evaluate it on three different... Yeah, three different axes you're evaluating these cards on. It's kind of annoying. One other important thing I don't think I mentioned about companion, but your commander is considered to be part of your deck. So whatever the companion restriction that you have for your companion must also apply to your commander so you're if you wanted to run obosh you would have to have make sure your companion has an odd converted mana cost all right so next we have yumori the collector two golgari golgari legendary creature ooze four or five and its companion is each non-land card in your starting deck shares a card type as yumori Enters the battlefield, choose a card type. Spells you cast of the chosen type cost one less to cast. This is a this is a hard workaround for the companion restriction. If your deck is creatures only, it can be done, sort of like uh, Nikki of the Old Ways commander deck. This is also a cost-reducing effect, but you usually want a cost-reducing effect at two CMC or three CMC, not four. So a good example is, yeah, you're happy with an Ethereum Sculptor and a Cloud Key, but you're not very happy with a Joyra's Familiar. Yeah, and I've kind of thought about it, but I think the only card type you could choose would be Creatures, unless if you were running the Golgari God from Theros of Farika, God of Affliction, because your commander is always going to be a creature, so... You have to make sure you pick creature at least unless if you're picking farika then you could pick enchantment so mm. it just gets very hard so definitely not worth running as a companion commander cool you can choose some of your spells that cost a little less uh and definitely not as a 99 i mean I, i'd argue it's more playable as the commander at 99 but i agree with you guy where it's still like man at four at four cmc this is not what you want your cost reducing effect to be doing I know I don't think this is one that we'll ever see that much play for. Nah, expect for, yeah, not really. All right, so our next companion is Karuga, the Macro Sage. It is three and Simic Simic for legendary creature dinosaur hippo. It's a five four. 
and the command uh, the companion restriction is your starting deck contains only cards with converted mana cost three or greater and land cards when karuga enters the battlefield draw a card for each other permanent you control with converted mana cost three or greater the companion restriction on this is kind of playable and casual uh, the downside is you can't run any 0, 1, or 2 CMC spells, which means this deck can't go super fast. It's a mass draw effect, sort of like Regal Force, or Shamanic Revelation, or Tishana Voice of Thunder. Uh, again, it's like it can be played not so much as your companion. You'll probably want to just run this in the Legendary or 99. That's going to be a, a common theme here, if you haven't noticed already. Yeah, so no signets, no soul ring, so you're not going to be able to like, you know, get ahead that much. A lot of like blue green staples, I feel like, are just out the door. It is kind of important to note that a lot of these companions weren't really built for commander. We do are or the rules committee is allowing for companion to be put in just because some of these deck restrictions can be worked around can be work yeah they can definitely be worked around but it's not like they're gonna be busted super strong busted cdh like yeah this one was kind of like okay yeah <laughs> get rid of soul ring mana crypts uh vampiric it just yeah it's no 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 so moving on <laughs> uh garuda doom of deaths i like this one a lot because it has gigan as the uh <laughs> alter art kaiju so it's four Demir Demir, Legendary Creature, Demon Kraken, 6-6 six, six, Companion. Your starting deck contains only cards with even converted mana costs. Mm. So when he enters the battlefield, each player puts the top four cards of the library into their graveyard. Put a creature card with an even converted mana cost from among those cards onto the battlefield under your control. Yeah. Ooh. So again, this is also, again, similar to Yannette, Crypt uh, Sovereign. This can be worked around as a companion but you probably again want to run it as the commander or the 99 yeah yeah and i like this a lot at least for kind of like casual play i don't yeah. even know like what you would want to run the uh commander as if you wanted this to be your companion so it is work around it's work aroundable but i don't know i almost feel like it'd just be better to have this in your command zone that you can repeat on multiple occasions because uh, you know blue has a lot of access to flicker effects and so it's not even like when this card is cast it's when it enters the battlefield so you just like flicker it a bunch dead eye navigator mill your opponents <laughs> get cards off them so um a good card that just came out that would be worth running in this deck would be extinction event which it says you choose odd or even you uh destroy all creatures with either odd or even mana costs so obviously you choose even and then destroy all odd ones so it's almost like a four mana damnation all right uh we're gonna keep moving on we're gonna talk about jangenth the wellspring it's four and a gruel for a legendary creature elemental elk with companion no card in your starting deck has more than one of the same mana symbol in its mana cost then it has an activated ability of tap Add Wooberg, this mana can't be spent to pay generic mana costs. So, Guy, do you want to talk about this one? Yeah, so what does that mean? That means you can't run cards like Counterspell, Necropotence, Mana Drain, 
because they all have multiple of uh, the same color mana costs in uh, their casting costs. Mm. So a lot of those good cards kind of go out the window. Um, CEDH TV, which is one of my favorite channels, did talk about this card a lot and how it could very well pair nicely with some of the um, Sisse decks in CEDH, just because, you know, this isn't actually one that's going to only be able to use for green and red. This is one that you could use for five color decks because it taps for Wooburk. Yeah, it just becomes a good way of being able to, like, use her ability more frequently than others. And probably also with, like, Polos. Perhaps. I think this is a very good ability, and I think it's well-balanced against the restriction that is also imposed upon it. Because... I think it is a real restriction and you do have to make a lot of sacrifices and not every five color deck wants to run this. Uh, it's really only like one or two. And so I really like this design and I also really like that art. Uh, ooh, so if you're listening on YouTube, you get to see that art and it's just very beautiful. All right, so next we have Zerda the Dawnmaker, which is one Boros Boros. Legendary creature, Elemental Fox, 3-3. Three, three. Companion, each permanent in your starting deck has an activated ability. Abilities you activate that aren't mana abilities cost two less to activate. This effect can't reduce the mana in that cost to less than one mana. And then you have one mana tap, target creature can't block this turn. So a lot of people obviously were just like Assault Monolith, and now it goes infinite with this card because you tap Assault Monolith for three, you have Zerda out, and then it now only becomes one to untap the Assault Monolith, so now you're able to tap and untap a bunch of times, get infinite colorless mana. I guess that's cool. I mean, I don't think Boros had really that much of a way to create infinite colorless mana before, but... Whatever. I see this though as great support for like an equipment or a Voltron commander just because now uh, equipments are all activated abilities and they will cost a lot less to cat, uh, a lot less to equip now. And you can use Zerda to make sure that you can tap down some of your opponent's stronger creatures so that way they can't block. Yeah, so to summarize, do we both agree that not so much as the companion, but as a commander and the 99 is better? I think so. I do think that you could still build around companion. this with the companion. It, it is still something that I would th be worth running as either its own commander or 99. This is one that I think all three can work. There, I don't think there's been many where I kind of thought that was the case. And so my two cents in this card is that, you know, I... I did spend like four hours like just looking at this card and figuring it all out and figuring out what other people had to say. So I'm going to save y'all a lot of time. Basically, at the end of the day, this results in a lot of three card and four card combos, basically. And funny enough, this is one of the best Boros commanders now. <laughs> Simply because you can combo. There you go. So our next companion we have is Lurus, the Dream Den. For one, and Orzov Orzov, it's a Cat Nightmare, 3-2, with companion of each permanent card in your starting deck has CMC 2 or less. It has lifelink, and during each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with convert mana cost 2 or less from your graveyard. So I actually think that this, like, maybe not so much as the companion, 
yes is the legendary creature, yes is the 99, it's a pretty good card. Yeah, this it's important to note that it does say non-land permanent for the companion part, so you can still run cards that have higher CMC. Mm. So like, I think that's like instants and sorceries you're talking about. Like instant, like ad nauseum, you could totally run that in this deck. Mm. So I do think that makes it a little more viable as a companion, just because it's not like a hard like making sure your deck is average mana cost two or less. But I mean, <laughs> by then, like, do you even need that much help from Loris of the Dream Den? So yeah, I mean, like, if you are playing like CDH, those decks definitely, even though they are CDH, they still want to run a few like three CMC or four CMC spells. Like, it's still great, like, uh, recursive value. I like it a lot, actually. And it's also got this, like, cutest little kitty in the art, too. It's adorable. Yeah. All right, next we have Kahira, the Orphan Guard. It is one Selesnia, Selesnia, legendary creature. Cat, beast, three, two. Companion, each creature in your starting deck is a cat, elemental, nightmare, dinosaur, or beast. It has vigilance. Each other creature you control that's a cat, elemental, nightmare, dinosaur, or beast uh, gets plus one, plus one, and has vigilance. So this pretty much becomes an auto-include for Arabo and Gishoth as Zakama. Because even though Zakama has red, you can still run this as a companion because it has green and white. It fits within the color identities of your commander. All right, three decks. <laughs> There you go. All right. <laughs> Two so, more. All right. So we got Yorion, Sky Nomad. It is three and Azorius, Azorius. Thank you. It's a legendary creature, bird, serpent. This was the last one to be spoiled, so I'm still <laughs> getting used to it. It is four. It's a four five, and its companion, it says, your starting deck contains at least 20 cards more than the minimum deck size. And it has flying, it has an ETB of exile any number of other non-land permanents you own and control, return those cards to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step. So because of that companion restriction, it does not work in EDH. You have to have a 100 card deck. Yeah, and this isn't make an exception. This is, sorry, you're not going to be able to play this as a companion. Yeah, and I don't think you necessarily want this as the legendary commander. I mean, you can do what you want, more power to you, but I think people definitely want to run this more as like the 99 card that can just mass flicker stuff. Uh, sort of like Brago King Eternal. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't pay too much attention just because the companion cost doesn't really <laughs> doesn't matter. Work. And it's, it's also not that high of a... It's not that low of a mana cost, so... It's okay. And we got the final one, which we saved the best one for last. Lutri, the spell chaser. One is it is it legendary creature elemental otter. Three two. Companion, each non-land card in your starting deck has a different name. What? <laughs> it has flash, and when it enters the battlefield. If you cast it, copy target, instant, or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. Yeah. We're so not going to go into this too much, but yeah, because uh, it was banned. Yeah, we like, it was banned before release. We pretty much agree with the decision 
Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this. We may talk about this in a future episode. It's not necessarily OP. Like, the effect isn't that strong. It's just the fact that it doesn't work well with the rules of EDH. And the companion cost is no cost at all. It truly is, in every true sense of the word, an auto-include in any deck that has red and blue in the commander color identity. On a more lighter note, fun fact, otters have the densest fur of any animal, up to a million hairs per square inch. And that's how they stay warm in all that really cold water. Yeah. And now we'll just now we'll just move on. Um, because <laughs> we got a few more commanders to talk about. We got a enemy dual color cycle. First is General Kudro of Dranrith. One white black legendary creature human soldier. Three three. Other humans you control get plus one plus one. Whenever he enter whenever he or another human enters the battlefield under your control, exile target card from an opponent's graveyard. And then for two generic and sacrifice two humans, destroy target creature with power four or greater. Oh my god, this is so boring. Like, Lord effects just aren't good in EDH. I'm sorry if you play another format. They're just not good in EDH. And the grave hate and the creature removal are, are like way too super specific. The best thing to come out of this card is the whole meme where it's like, I am Lord Farquaad, some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. That's the only good thing about this card. <laughs> you don't think that this would become kind of an auto-include in the new Charina Kudro deck? I guess. <laughs> I mean, human travel isn't necessarily the strongest in EDH, so yeah, we can just move on. Alright. To another next... human. <laughs> yeah, to another human. Wow. It's almost like there's a theme here. Uh, we have Cheville, uh, Bane of Monsters. For black and a green, it is a legendary creature, human rogue, 1-3 with death touch. At the beginning of your upkeep, if your opponents control no permanents with bounty counters on them, put a bounty counter on target creature or a planeswalker an opponent controls. Whenever an opponent, or sorry, whenever a permanent an opponent controls with a bounty counter on it dies, you gain 3 life and draw a card. This is just bad, because bounty counters have only been on 2 cards, Bounty Hunter and Mathis Fiendseeker. And both of them see virtually no play because they're just very weak effects. I'm sorry. Not really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm not mistaken, the way that this card works, you're only going to make one card on the battlefield have a bounty counter on it. So if you want to gain value from killing that bounty counter card to gain three life and draw a card you kind of have to focus your energy onto that creature and it just kind of seems like it's too narrow and unfocused on what the main goal should be rather than making it a viable edh strategy yeah i think this is and i'll i'll talk about this soon but i feel like this is a, a legendary like i know we're trashing on these cards right now but like not all legendary creatures are made for commander like they're made for other formats in mind and i feel like that's the case with these two cards Right, and that was kind of the case too with the Companions. Companions was much more made for, uh, I believe, other formats in mind. Like, it was inspired by Commander, but it was more made for other formats. Next, we have Rael, the Everwise. One blue-red legendary creature human wizard. Zero three. When Rael gets 
plus one plus zero for each instant or sorcery card in your graveyard. When you discard one or more cards for the first time each turn, draw that many cards. Holy crap, this is actually good. So this is like great as a storm card or even for a value card. It synergizes with rummaging and looting and wheels. The small downside of discarding cards is now even less. You get to play cards like Wheel of Fortune and Windfall and Lion's Eye Diamond that just synergize so hard with this card. And it's just like, this card is like an engine, like similar to Brawl Chief of Compliance. Like, yeah, you still need a win con at the end of all this, but this just, oh, this card just slaps so hard. I had the idea that you would want to run uh, Niv-Mizzet in there so you could just put him on the battlefield and then with looping a bunch of draw effects, you'll just deal a bunch of one damages here and there, but... Um, but Guy, why would like you... Blake had a better would, set of strategy. Guy, why would you cast such a hard spell to cast when you could instead cast Aetherflux Reservoir and just, like, nuke everyone to death? Yeah, silly me, silly me. <laughs> Don't need to try so hard. All right, we have... For our next card, uh, Kynan Bonder Prodigy. It is green and a blue for legendary creature, human druid for 2-2. Whenever you tap an online permanent for mana, add one mana of any type that permanent produced. And then has an activated ability of five and green blue. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a non-human creature card from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Also, holy crap, this card is also amazing. It is a Simic deck that has dorks and mana rocks and even, I guess, enchantments if you want. Tap for extra mana. And, like, notably, you can make infinite colorless with Basalt Monolith, but you also have hardcore synergies with Intruder Alarm and Dramatic Scepter and Free From the Real combos. And I'm glad that they at least tacked on two colored mana per activation otherwise that would just be too easy to win yeah i think they kind of learned their lesson with urza and only giving urza colorless in his mana cost but perhaps i see a lot of people complaining about this just because it's a two mana legendary creature that could go pretty easy to infinite um they're just drawing a lot of comparisons to like thrasios and tulane I don't think this is going to be as impactful as people think. I mean, you can mulligan your hand away until you have Basalt in your hand, just so, you know, cool, I have infinite mana on turn three. But I I just see this becoming really repetitive and boring. <laughs> kind of like uh, Prime Speaker Vanifar, who, you know, we all thought that was going to be a problem, but then, oh, look, no, it just kind of did your <laughs> thing, and now you're done. So... Sure, it's strong, but, like, let it pass, ignore it, it will probably go away. I don't think this is going to be all that bad. Okay, so to add on to that, before we move on to the next legendary creature, I, unlike Vanifar, I do think people are going to play this, both competitively and casually. Now, I don't want people to complain about this like they complain about Urza or Chulain. Like, I want people to go to their local game store and sit down and, yeah, you see someone pull this card out, but, you know, you should be, like, 
a decent human being and just like talk before a game and be like, oh, I'm playing combos or I'm not playing any infinite combos. Please don't gang up on me and just arch enemy me before the game even starts. Like actually be a responsible human and talk things out. Just don't, I just don't want this to be another two lane and then have people bitch about this card to the, like five months later. Like just be fucking adults, please. <laughs> Yeah, and be, be transparent, think... be open, be clear, be honest about what you're doing, which you should already be doing at locals. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you got to give something time to react. I'm, yes, we are tired of some of the really strong cards that are out there right now, but we don't know how strong a card's going to be until, like, we've actually kind of seen it in action. So, yeah. calm down. Yeah. Winota, joiner of forces. Mm -hmm. Two red, white, legendary creature, human warrior. It she is a four-four. Whenever a non-human you control attacks, look at the top six cards of your library. You may put a human creature card from among them onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking. It gains indestructible until end of turn. Per the rest of the cards on the bottom of your library in a random <laughs> order. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, it just wants you to go Boros, human tribal, which is very very underwhelming and it's just kind of like not even like human tribal because in order to get her effect to go off it has to be a non-human creature that attacks so slightly slightly better but still bad yeah but you have to yeah so you have to like kind of build it halfway of like bears and humans yeah i i say those because that's in the art but whatever Alright, so we're going to move on to our last few legendary creatures. We're going to now talk about some of the last ones. We have uh, Yadaro, Wandering Monster. It is 5 and a red red for a legendary creature, Dinosaur Turtle. It's 8-8 eight, eight with Trample and Haste and Cycling for 1 and a red. When you cycle this card, shuffle it into your library from your graveyard. If you cycled a card named Yadaro, four or more times this game put it onto the battlefield from your graveyard instead so this is a terrible commander this is terrible as the 99 and this is where i get into my miniature speech about how not every legendary creature is made for edh uh which i kind of alluded to earlier that's fine like most legendary creatures are made for edh we don't need all of them to care about our format it's fine I have nothing to say about your Doro, except that um, if you really wanted to be your commander, you pretty much have to do, like, America's Next Ninja Warrior course in order <laughs> to, like, get this to go off. Oh, my God. Yeah. So. Good luck with that. Yeah, good luck if, with if that. I, if I lose to someone playing Yodaro, uh as their, like, commander, I will, like, buy you five beers. Um, but then you got, okay, so next we got Kogla, the Titan Ape, Three Green Green, Legendary Creature Ape, Seven Six. Uh, when Kogla, the Titan 8, enters the battlefield, it fights up to one target creature you don't control. When he attacks, destroy target, artifact, or enchantment, defending player controls. One in a green. Target, target human you control to its owner's hand. He gains indestructible until end of turn. And so, to go off your comment, Blake, of, oh, he's not King Kong. Well, technically, King Kong is also not in the Godzilla universe. Or at least with the... Uh, Toho, that Licensing I know that there have been movies about that. That's yeah, it's those have been like very special scenarios where they've been able to like cross over. 
and same with the upcoming Godzilla vs. King Kong movie. Yeah. Uh, yes, this is King Kong, obviously, but sorry we don't get a King Card card. If you want a King Kong card, alter it, uh, hit me up and I'll alter it for you. I do that. <laughs> you do, and they turn out pretty good. Uh, maybe we'll show some of them sometime soon. Uh, Thank you. I feel like you sh I feel like you're also more qualified to talk about this next card. Sure. Uh, Godzilla King of Monsters. Or uh, Zillarofa. Strength Incarnate. Which is three red-green legendary creature dinosaur. Seven three. Um, trample. It has uh, lethal damage dealt to creatures you control. is determined by their power rather than toughness. And this is the Biobox promo as well. And it's important to note that, well, I don't think this is super important to note, but there is no other Zilrotha Strength Incarnate. Uh, you only have this Godzilla King of Monsters card, yeah. which is quite interesting that they didn't come up with a second version. But since it's the Biobox promo, I guess that's kind of the reason, but... Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting if we ever return to Ikoria and we get another Zilorofa, if it'll just look like Godzilla exactly, or if it'll look completely different. But I mean, a lot of these big monsters kind of do already look like Godzilla, so. And the only thing I have to add to that is that it's kind of a reverse door in the Siege Tower deck, where it's power that's important, not the toughness. Yeah, I don't think this is one I would build a whole deck around, but it does definitely seem like it would just be good support in dinosaur decks. All right, so now we are into the other half of this episode, and we are now going to talk about cards that go in the 99. We are not going to be talking about all of them. We are only going to talk about ones that are uh, notable, because we do have limited time. So we're going to start off in Wooburg order. So let's start with white. We have Dreneth Magistrate. For one and a white, it's a creature, human wizard, 1-3. Your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. Ooh, what a card to start off with. This is just one of the best cards in the set. I'm just going to say it right now. Uh, this just stops your opponents from casting their commander. You can still cast your commander, but your opponents can't. And uh, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's got the small. it's got the small things of you can't cast... It stops your opponents from casting from their graveyard. It stops them from casting from exile, like food chain creatures. It stops them from casting from their libraries, which isn't really all that relevant. But again, it stops you from casting your commander. Stops oh your God. opponents from casting your commander. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, this is definitely great support for white. <laughs> and the next card, too, uh, Luminous Broodmoth which is two white-white creature insect, 3-4 with flying. Uh, whenever a creature you control with flying dies, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control with a flying counter on it. Uh, this is also another good card for white. So yeah. we're starting off pretty strong, whereas I feel like the last kind of sets we've gone through and white's gotten like some support. Just like in Companion, uh, in Commander 2020, and I was a little salty about the white card that you could cast for free if you controlled your commander. I am just still a little salty about this card because again, it's not going to be good for Avacyn because most of my creatures already have flying, oh so God. like <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. Oh my but God. That, that's me just and being salty. And you're a super specific commander. 
Yes. So, oh well, God. any angel... Which... Already has flying. <laughs> right, well, yeah, so... It's, it's okay. It's okay, guy. You run... You now put Dranath Magistrate in your Avacyn deck, and now you also put Luminous Broodbot to give Dranath Magistrate flying and basically persist. So it is yeah. relevant. Got him. Sure. Got sure. him. Something to add to Luminous uh, Broodmoth. People have been talking about how like it combos with Solemnity. But I want to remind everyone who says that, that that's still like a four card plus combo. And if you're winning with a four card combo or more, you should be winning an EDH game. Like you deserve it at that point. Like that's just so many hoops to jump through. Unless if you're trying to be jank, I guess. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to go to blue now. We have Shark Typhoon, and I'm not even going to read the text on this card because it's not good in EDH. The only thing I have to say about this card is Sharknado! Sharknado. Yeah, it's a meme card for sure. It's the ultimate crossover episode. We got crossover with Godzilla, now we got crossover with Sharknado. What more yeah. could you want? Nothing. My life is complete. Alright. Next we have Reconnaissance Mission. Two blue blue enchantment. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. And then it has Cycling 2. Alright. I'm excited for this card. I feel like it's been going under the radar, but I wanted to talk about this card. Because it's basically another coastal piracy effect. So this rewards decks that want to go wide with a lot of evasive creatures in order to draw huge chunks of their deck. Think about decks like the Locust God, Alila Artful Provocateur, Edric Spymaster Spy of Trest, uh, Yuriko, and even the new commander from C20, uh, Exiris the Riding Storm, the Leviathan dude that everyone's really hyped about. All of these decks want reconnaissance mission. EDH players are just sluts for drawing cards and like, oh, this is so good in those decks. Um, definitely sleeper card. Uh, <laughs> well, sleeper as in, I don't think too many people are going to be like, oh yeah, this is just a strictly better, like, upgrade. You could run both, though, so. Porcano less dose. Oh yeah, I definitely run, like, if you're those decks, run both of them, for sure. <sighs> Alright, now we're moving on to black. Alright, we have... Bastion of Remembrance. It is two and a black for an enchantment that says when it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one white human soldier creature token. And also, whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So this static ability is great for any aristocrat strategy, which is very popular in EDH. And then, so to analyze this card, being an enchantment makes it more resilient once it's on the board, but... Uh, since it's not a creature, it is harder uh, to recur s since black can only really recur creatures. Yeah, it's has the ability of Blood Artist, so... And I know that's like a key card for a lot of like aristocrat strategies. So it's kind of like, you, you would want to run both, obviously, but one has the downside of being much more like dies to removal, and then the other one has like, once it's gone, it's gone. Essentially, that's a good way of putting it. And just like that, we are now on to red. Woo! Alright, so we got Flame Spill, two and a red, instant. Uh, Flame Spill deals four damage to target creature. Excess damage is dealt to that creature's controller instead. This is Super Duper Defray in Black Border, which is a uncard, which 
deals four damage to target creature, but that instant has trample. Mark Rosewater has always talked about how, yes, that's definitely something that we could do in Black Border, but the wording has always been kind of tricky. Finally, we've been able to just get it here. And also, the way of, well, why can't you just put trample onto an instant? Well, the way the trample works, um, I believe it has to be through combat damage or uh, the ruling states like when this creature deals damage so it just gets a little you'd have to like change a lot of like the fundamentals of what trample is in order to make it work for one card so it's not really worth changing i believe it's been said that if this is sort of an experiment if players do understand the meaning of excess damage then they will print more of this kind of effect in black border mm-hmm Alright, so our next card is Unpredictable Cyclone. It is 3 and red red for an enchantment. If a cycling ability of another non-land card would cause you to draw a card, instead exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a card that shares a card type with the cycled card. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost, then put the exiled cards that weren't cast this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. Uh, so it's like pseudo cascade, but yeah, you could cycle away an enchantment and then cycle into like omniscience i mean that's a good really good case scenario but <laughs> that's like the dream right so i'm just kind of saying like there, it has its upsides whereas cascade's a little more limited because of you have to pay attention to how much something costs but yeah this is definitely a card i think is worth throwing into the uh cycling deck that we just got so Timeless Wisdom continues to get nice new toys. All right, I'm so pumped for this. All right, so this next card, we're going to talk about green now. And we're talking about Colossification. It is five and green green for an enchantment aura. It's uh, obviously enchant creature. And when it enters the battlefield, tap enchanted creature. Enchanted creature gets plus 20, plus 20. Aw, yeah. This is a big, dumb card, and I love it. It's even more power and toughness boost than Eldrazi Conscription. Even more than Colossus Hammer. This is now the highest power toughness pumping aura. And now any commander with green in their commander color identity can now deal commander damage, basically. And I love it. Yeah, I love this card too. Especially because it just would fit so well into my Galta deck. <laughs> um, I, do, I do love how like you kind of have like this duality, Blake, where... You're like, this card's garbage, and it <laughs> is truly a card that's garbage, and you're like, I don't even want to talk about this card when we're like going over card notes, but then you throw in something like this, and you're like, I acknowledge that this is a dumb card, but I still want to talk about it. I'm like, yeah, that's dude, fair, I guess. Dude, you can't, you can't just ignore the plus 20, plus 20. It's like yeah, I mean, that such, is pretty it's big. It's so big, you can't ignore it. It's like bigger than the elephant in the room. It's like the skyscraper in the room. I love it so much. And it's got a giant cat! Yes, it's it does. beautiful! I love this! I'm going to buy it, maybe never play it, but like, I'm going to buy this. Yeah, I definitely think this will be nice for casual play. Alright, so next we have the one Planeswalker we're going to talk about. Vivian, Monster's Advocate. Three green green Planeswalker Vivian. She enters the battlefield with Loyalty 3. She has two static abilities, so you may look at the top card of your library anytime, and you may cast creature spells from the top of your library. 
Plus one, create a 3-3 green creature beast token. Put your choice of a vigilance counter, a reach counter, or a trample counter on it. And then minus two, when you cast your next creature spell this turn, search your library for a creature card with lesser converted mana cost, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about this card, not from a power level perspective, but just from a design perspective. This is the first time seeing a Planeswalker since War of the Spark that has a static ability. And it's my personal opinion that static abilities make Planeswalkers much more viable in EDH because the general problem with Planeswalkers in EDH is that they will die within one uh, rotation of the table. And so looking at like other static abilities of Planeswalkers, such as Narset Parter of Veils and Ashok Dream Render, you get a much more obvious sense of uh, static abilities really help Planeswalkers. Now, that doesn't make them automatically good, but it really, really does help. This static ability is very similar, most comparable to a card called Vizier of the Menageries, and that card sees a lot of play in Animar and Nikia and Momir Vig. So there's actually a number of EDH decks that will actually want this card. Not to mention that the uh, plus one is kind of like a Garrick Wildspeaker's plus one, in that it can create a creature token to protect itself to help it last more than one rotation of the table. The minus two is sort of like the emblem from Garrick Caller of the Beasts, but weaker, but I could still see myself losing to it in a casual game. I still think this is like, this is just really good design. It's nice that we are seeing this again, and I know that it's been talked about how this isn't something that, you know, it was only relevant in War of the Spark. It is something that will be relevant for the rest of Magic. It's just kind of more of a when is it appropriate rather than let's do it every set kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but for the Vivian Planeswalkers, this is very nice. It works well with the one that just came out with uh, War of the Spark. And it was like... Uh, flash? You can Yeah, you could cast creatures spells for flash so if you have both of these out you can pretty much just flash in a bunch of creatures really quickly um almost like a creature vidalcan ori specific but good and then so there were two other planeswalkers luca and narset but not really gonna go into them we don't think that they're as relevant yeah the, their effects just like are so mediocre they're like not even worth talking about like yeah it's and then also like apparently like so there's Vivian, and there's Luca, and then there's Narset, and then apparently also the Wanderer is there, like, according to an art by Blade Banish? Yeah, that is true, um, but I think that's kind of the thing about the Wanderer, that they're trying to, like, build this, like, who who are they kind of thing around them, um, and we're not going to learn much about them ever it's just going to kind of be meant to be kept a secret so if only guy had bought the book and have and had read it in order to have told us what the lore was in this set yeah if only i had bought the book but <laughs> no i did buy the book and i meant to read it beforehand but i didn't <laughs> blake who has just as much ability to do that though didn't uh, either but at least i didn't like you can't forget if you don't buy it <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> That's the big brain right there. All right, also, an honorable mention before we start talking about the last few cards, I want to mention Almighty Brushwag, like one of the best callbacks to magic history ever with amazing 
uh, name, art, and flavor text. We're going to move on to multicolor. Woo! All right, and we've actually only got one for our multicolor because there's only one good one. Let's be well, real here. Well, kind of. One multicolor, but we have a couple cycles we're going to talk about. Oh, that's true. All right. Like, at least, yeah, on a singular basis. All right, we have Fiend Artisan. Uh, it is uh, hybrid Golgari Golgari, and it's a creature nightmare. It's a 1 1 that it gets plus 1 plus 1 for each creature card in your graveyard. And then it has an activated ability of, of X Golgari, tap, sacrifice another creature. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery. So, this is one of the best cards of the set. I'm just going to say that now. Um, this was inspired by Knight of the Reliquary, a card very good in other formats. And what we are mostly interested isn't so much that static ability. We really care about that activated ability. And it's kind of like Birthing Pod. The downside is it is sorcery speed, and you still do have to pay the full cost of that creature in order to cheat it out from the library. But that's even with all those downsides, this is still amazingly powerful because you can do this over and over and over again. Oh, this is, oh this is so good. I'm really curious, like, why does. I know that Birthing Pod is very popular especially in modern mm -hmm. and i think they really want it unbanned and i think watsi has like acknowledged that they probably won't unban it so like they've been yeah. trying to like come up with other cards to like satisfy the appetite but it seems like mm -hmm. none of them are doing quite that so we'll see if like these ever really do make an impact in other games i mean this is definitely you know good for us because if this is kind of the effects that you're doing in our deck like Oh, cool. <laughs> we got a third one. Yeah. Um, I just think it's probably like we, we might even see like this again next year in another card as like, a, okay, is this going to be the birthing pod replacement for modern? Nope. But okay, EDH got a fourth one. I don't, I don't necessarily think they want to make another birthing pod exactly just because it ruined that format kind of at the time. And that has probably Rexian mana in it. And I yeah. think that's also part of the reason. <laughs> part of it. But uh, yeah, I'm fine with getting all these birthing pod-like effects. I'm, I'm okay with that, even if they're nerfed. All right, so next we're going to talk about the ultimatum cycle. We got five new ones to complete the cycle from a long time ago, from uh, Conflux, I think. So I'm going to quickly read each one of them. And so first is Emergent Ultimatum, Black, Black, Green, Green, Blue, Blue. They're all sorceries. So Emergent... Search your library for up to three monocolor cards with different names and exile them. An opponent chooses one of those cards, shuffle that card into your library, you may cast the other cards without paying their mana costs. You have Eerie Ultimatum, White, Black, White, White, Black, 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 Green, Green. Return any number of permanent cards with different names from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, inspired Ultimatum, Blue, Blue, Red, 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 White, White. Target player gains five life, deals five damage to any target, and then draw five cards. Ruinous ultimatum. Red, red, white, 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 black, black. Destroy all non-land permanents your opponents control. And then Genesis ultimatum. Green, green, blue, 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 red, red. Look at the top five cards of your library. Put any number of permanent cards from among them onto the battlefield and rest into your hand. 
Exile Genesis Ultimatum. First, I just want to say that none of these, except for Emergent Ultimatum, are actual ultimatums. The very <laughs> definition of an ultimatum is to make a decision. Uh, none of them do that, except for Emergent, where it says, uh, well, Emergent is pretty much a gifts ungiven, or like intuition. But yeah, nobody else is like having to make choices. So don't know where they got that from. And it's not even like the original ultimatums had decisions on them either. Oh, uh, they were originally from Shards of Alara. Uh, oh, but, okay. But I be, I pretty much agree with what you just said, which is like, I don't know, for seven mana, you should probably just, especially if you're hard casting these for such like restrictive mana costs, you should probably be winning the game or like winning the game in the next like one or two turns. So these are fine. I, if I'm playing casually, like I expect to lose to these every so often. I think the ones that are worth noting are Emergent, which is the Gifts Ungiven, pretty much. Um, Eerie Ultimatum, which returns a lot of cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. And since it says return any number of permanent cards with different names from your graveyard to the battlefield, that could also mean lands. And as long as there are like different lands, and it can be a bunch of creatures, it could be a bunch of enchantments, whatever. And Ruinous Ultimatum, which is destroy all non-land permanents your opponent's control. So pretty much a huge board wipe without having to, you know, Teferi's, your protect Teferi's protection your way out of this. I will say that this the, the teaser up to this reveal was like, oh, we're going to complete a cycle from over 10 years ago. And here I am, someone who started 2015, and I'm just like, that was five years before my time. I'm not even going to try to guess this. Everyone else is just like losing their minds trying to figure it out. And I'm just like over here sipping tea in my shades under my umbrella. And I'm just like, I'm just going to wait this out. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going crazy at all. Play with them if you want. But we're going to move on. We have yeah. the Mythos Cycle. Another cycle. These are also sorceries. I think the thing about <laughs> these is they're all kind of like one color until you cast other color restrict other color requirements which are mentioned in their casting costs and then you get an additional ability with them yeah uh we're only going to talk about mythos of brokos uh <laughs> the only like decent one so two green green sorcery if blue black was spent to cast this spell so if that means you paid uh blue black green green search your library for a card Put that card into your graveyard, then shuffle your library. Return up to two permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. So if you don't use the blue-black, you're returning up to two permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand, which could be good, but if you're also doing it with the blue-black, you're essentially getting a demonic tutor as well, because you would just put whatever card, put it into the graveyard, and then be able to put those cards into your hand, so long as it's a permanent. They're fine. They're, like some of the wording on them is a little bit confusing, even as someone who's been playing the game for like five-ish years. I don't expect to see them played much, so I don't feel like you're going to run into the issue too much in UDH. Yeah, I just think I think that these will be probably played in like the decks that are like building around Ikoria stuff. So yeah. like I might throw in Mythos of Brokos for my Brokos deck just because, but I also think All that right. makes it a little more relevant there too. But mm -hmm. All right. moving on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking about the enchantment cycle because if any of you have been listening long enough to this channel, you know I'm an enchantment slut. So we're going to start off with Song of Creation. 
it is one and green, blue, red for an enchantment that says you may play an additional land on each of your turns. But wait, there's more. When you cast a spell, draw two cards. And then the very small downside of at the beginning of your end step, discard your hand. So this has a very low floor and an incredibly high ceiling, oh my word. Discarding your hand is a very big downside, but that doesn't matter if you just slam this down and win on the same turn. Yeah, this this is the perfect time for my favorite card, Underworld Breach. <laughs> so, I don't know, I want to see this like played out in CDH to like truly understand like how this could be so great. Because, um, yeah, unless if you're winning this turn, I don't think that this is a card that I would personally ever really want to consider. Uh, moving on to a more relevant enchantment. <laughs> it's, it's, it's also relevant. They're both good. More relevant. Okay. Whirlwind of Thought, which True. is one in Jeskai enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, draw a card. So, definitely think that this is the best one, just yeah. because... Just guide decks, this is what you're doing. You're casting a bunch of non-creature spells, so you're probably drawing a bunch of cards, casting those cards, and then draw more cards, and boom, goodbye. This is, uh, for any of you players who have been playing for any amount of time, you probably know that this is like one half of Just Guy Ascendancy, but it's even nicer, arguably, because it's just hard draw. You're not even looting. You just get to accrue card advantage instead of staying card neutral. Uh, mm -hmm. This is just, oh, this is so good. <laughs> this is so good. This is so good. Yeah. Uh, and EDH players, they're just sluts for drawing cards. I'll say it again and again. All right, next one. We have Death's Oasis. It is white, black, green for an enchantment that says whenever a non-token creature you control dies, put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard. Then return a creature card with lesser CMC than the creature that died from your graveyard to your hand. And then it has an activated ability of one sacket. Uh, you gain life uh, equal to the greatest uh, converted mana cost among creatures you control. We don't care so much about that. We care about the static ability. At worst, it's just very, very good value. I think we were only mentioning this card because it was part of the cycle, and at yeah. least most of these cards in this cycle were actually relevant. Next is Offspring's Revenge. Two red, white, black enchantment. So Mardu. At the beginning of combat on your turn exile target red white or black creature card from your graveyard create a token that's a copy of that card except it's a 1-1 it gains haste until your next turn so it kind of reminds me of the black rare that i don't even know its name <laughs> from uh throne of uh theros beyond death where uh it was an enchantment creature and it pretty much reanimated a creature from your graveyard onto the battlefield but it was a 1-1 at the time there's just so many be other better cards that can do this kind of thing so yeah it's just really bad reanimator effect mm -hmm. all right so the next card the last in the cycle is titan's nest it is one black green blue for an enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep look at the top card of your library hmm where have we seen that before in this set and earlier you may put that card into your graveyard exile a card from your graveyard add colorless spend this mana only to cast a colored spell without x in its mana cost so the first part is kind of like surveil but they don't want to keyword surveil for various reasons and then the second part is kind of like giving all of your spells in your hand delve like that actually kind of blows my mind what i didn't even think about it like that but yeah i mean 
you just probably want to run a bunch of big spells and you know exile those to like just get like i don't know eight colorless mana and then well because it's not even like it's it's just the converted mana cost total for that card it's not even like take the colorless from the card that you just exiled no it's the full card yeah it's this one's also pretty good yeah it's not half bad all right we have Our... made it to colorless and, and if you thought we were done about talking about cycles, well, you're wrong. Because <laughs> we have the Triumph of <laughs> Tricycle Lands. I'm not even going to like attempt to pronounce these <laughs> just because they're all made up words for Ikoria. Yeah, but I, all, it would just be terrible. Uh, but essentially, they're all uh, three color lands that enter the battlefield tapped, and you can cycle them for three, and they all have the... Uh, land type associated with their color so the Jeskai one is a island mountain plains yep. which i don't even understand how that kind of works but <laughs> it's all three okay. <laughs> somehow people are like losing their shit over this <laughs> um i think it's a little overhyped like they're like oh you can fetch them out oh wow but i don't really see how they're just much better though when you're like just cycling them out at the end of the turn to like just untap them at least for casual play i guess but it, they're better than the original tri-lands that um enter the battlefield tap because they have cycling i don't know i'm getting a, i have a hard time like getting around this yeah so there's a lot of talk about this and to sum it all up in my opinion there's two kinds of players there's the players that want to run this because they're on a budget and they don't mind their lands coming into the battlefield tapped. And then there's the players that uh, have more of a budget and do not want their lands coming into play tapped and will not play this. And it's that simple. That's it. Yep. Yep. All right. We have one more card to talk about. All right. So the last one we have is the Ozolith. It is one colorless for a legendary artifact whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield if it had counters on it put those counters on the ozolith at the beginning of combat on your turn if the ozolith has counters on it you may move all counters from it onto target creature the only decks that i think that this will be relevant in are animar and scorpion god decks just because animar will reduce the casting cost of cards depending on how many plus one plus one counters he has so he dies or another creature with plus one plus one counter dies and then when it's your turn you or combat phase uh you can just give all the plus one plus one counters to him and now you have pretty much where you started which is pretty nice and then Scorpion God with the Persist, and you just want to give a bunch of creatures minus one, minus one counters. So even with you have all yours that die, you then get all the minus one, minus one counters onto the Ozolith. And then um, you could then, at the beginning of combat, put all those minus one, minus one counters on an opponent's creature and pretty much kill one thing per turn. Which, I mean, could be kind of good, but, you know. Yeah, other than those specific situations it, it's just like i don't know people are also losing their minds about this i, it, I not, it's nice that it, it it only costs one 
and it does work well with the keyword counters. So I guess like the other deck that would probably benefit from this is uh, Cathril Aspect Warder, the Nightmare Bug Insect that we just got. It's it's definitely overhyped. It sort of reminds me of Manscape Refractor from C20, where people are just losing their minds, but they need to take like I don't know two seconds to realize oh this only goes in like one or two EDH decks. And it is honestly the most impressive thing about this card is that it's inspired from a silver bordered card called Big Fan, sort of like another card we talked about earlier where it's inspired from a silver border card. That's honestly the coolest thing about this card to me. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of talk about how this set is very un And we will talk inspired. about that in a few minutes as we're talking about the final thoughts of this set. All right, so now we're going to move into wrapping up best new commander and what do we mean by best well probably the one that has the most um, potential to either go CEDH or one that probably will see the most play so Blake yeah so from a power level perspective I would probably say Kynan that Simic commander that doubles your stuff tapping for stuff and has that activated ability outlet or it doesn't double it just adds one additional one yeah yes thank you for that yeah technically yeah and then there's also the rael uh commander like is it storm card i know it, it doesn't double but like probably you're comboing this with cards that'll just make you get to have infinite stuff so it's not even like that really is going to matter all that much eh, no but you're right in correcting me power level yes i agree these two definitely will probably see some play. Um, I think Rael probably a little more because I think Kinnan, Kinnan is just going to get boring. I, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I think people are kind of tired of like really overpowered Simic cards. So <laughs> that's kind of true. But in terms of like popularity right now, it's Rael and then Nethroy, which was one of the Wedge uh, Mutate Mythics that we talked about really early on has the second most built decks so far for Ikoria. So I do think some of these mutate commanders will end up seeing like some decks built around them, but I don't think that they're going to make the biggest impact in the competitive landscape at least. All right, so for the best of the 99, do we just want to say it at the same time since it's pretty obvious? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's very obvious. All right, it's, um, uh, <laughs> Dranith Magistrate. Dranith Magistrate. Boom. A lot of people are complaining about this card just because it's like Iona. We already kind of talked about that. And I mean, it's it's killable. I mean, run removal. It'll probably be a bigger threat in CEDH. Yeah, just be smart. And I think just any typical deck building formula is going to be able to help you deal with this card at least. All Every deck should be playing removal. And if you can't get rid of that, that's probably more a reflection on you rather than the person who played that card. On another additional note, and I think I said this earlier, but after reviewing Commander 2020 and then this uh, Ikoria, Cycling definitely got quite a bit of toys, especially for Jeskai, which had a full deck built around it. Yeah, if you're looking for good Cycling cards, I think, you know, you could pick quite a few up. It's unfortunate, though, that, like, it's the one that probably got pushed the most, but I think because there's been so much history around it, that's probably why. Whereas Mutate's new and that they still kind of need to see how it plays out before they could make any like 
wow, this is like busted mutate card. And to add to that, uh, cycling is deciduous and it is borderline an evergreen mechanic. It is something that pe uh, staff members at WotC have thought about for a long time. I think I did say it was like almost every other year, but it also might actually be every year because I remember Modern Horizons cared about cycling a lot. And then before that was Dominaria. And then there might have been a set in the 2017 area that cared about it. Because I know Amonkhet did in 2016. We'll see. And now kind of just we broke it up into final thoughts overall as a set in the different uh, mechanics of it. And then kind of like tone and what it means for Commander. So we're in the last we're on the last leg of the stretch here, people. Final thoughts of the product. Uh, let's start with Mutate. For me, it's a very complicated mechanic for both new and veteran players, and that is concerning. Most Mutate cards uh, are actually pretty mediocre effects, and that's why we didn't actually talk about um, a bunch of them in this set, unless they were like those boss monsters from each triome. We actually like left out a ton of cards that said mutate on them. Just because I don't think Watsi wanted to undercost them and create another mechanic like, say, Dredge, which just ruined formats. I mean, it is kind of concerning that it is a very complicated mechanic, but I do know that in just the evolution of gameplay, people will figure it out. Yeah, or that's how games evolve and are able to survive. I know that, like, initially. So sorry, yes, initially mutate is kind of a hard mechanic to understand. There's a lot of like nuances to it when you want to like get into the nitty gritty of it. But once you kind of like sit down and learn a lot of like the basic level kind of things and like just go through it once or twice, um, I feel like everything else will kind of become intuitive as to what it'll do. You need to first like prime yourself and I know that it's like a big change and I think that's kind of like the hard part is that this is something completely different and people may not initially like it but you know take a step back think about it okay you had your moment now just kind of like take it in again I mean it if it's really something that bothers you I mean this is a card game just don't play with it uh, or just don't play it yourself or just don't play with other people but I mean Sometimes that's not a choice, so you kind of have to just adapt. Yeah, and I will say one thing in favor that uh, Watsi did was they did sort of prime us for this mechanic over time, such as like the augment from Silver Border, and then before that they had Meld from uh, El Eldritch Evolution, I believe. So they, they've kind of been priming us slowly over time. So it wasn't just like an absolute slap in the face out of yeah. nowhere. Yes, yeah. that, that was good of them. All right, next we have keyword counters. For me, I think this is a thumbs up. I think this is really great design. Uh, players seem to really understand it easy, easily. And uh, I will just say, however, if you are planning to play in paper at a local game store, please, 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 please get the punch out cardboard counters for them 
don't just use a bunch of dice. That will just confuse the absolute shit out of everyone you're playing with and they're not going to like you. That's just the one thing I'm going to say about that. They have said that this will become a deciduous mechanic, so if you're not able to find punch-out counters, use some other kind of like right right on a piece of paper yeah. right on a piece of paper please yes <laughs> and i mean don't use dice it, it really becomes hard because like you got to remember all these different counters but i think it's something that as a player base we'll be able to get over all right companion Oof. so so for me i'm gonna be honest you know as someone who does this podcast and reviews each like set um I'm not gonna like everything, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be completely honest. You do not have to agree with me. I do not like Companion, uh, specifically for EDH. I understand that there's a place for it, and that Companion was more made in mind for other formats. I acknowledge that, but specifically within the context of EDH, I do not like this mechanic. Uh, it adds beyond the 100 card I singleton idea of the format, and that is what it's always been. It allows for potentially minimal restrictions on the companion and oh wow look at that after two days we already got the busted restriction that wasn't a restriction at all and we had to ban loot tree. Nobody was happy about that. It also just sort of I, I can just imagine sitting down at an LGS and I see someone with their partner commanders and then I see their companion and in five years I don't want to see like someone basically having five commanders in their command zone. That's just bullshit. And it's like, that's not where I want the future to be. And I hope it's not where it's going. Agreed. I, I know you said I don't have to agree with you, but I'm going to agree with you. Okay. Well, that helps. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that big of a fan. I do like how it does make decks very restrictive. And I will like to see like other people... I guess I'm not a fan of it for myself. Um, if you want to do it, go ahead. Like, more power to you. I don't think that this is going to be anything that's, like, backbreaking to play against, necessarily. I do know that it's been kind of hard for players to get over the idea of, oh, we're allowing for this one sideboard thing, whereas why can't I have, you know, wish cards be a thing? But that's, like, a whole other argument that I don't think we need to get into. I know that Sheldon was consulted when they were making this or not when they were making this but closer to the end when he was working at wizards for a short bit about like some future commander products i know that he took it back to the rc and they kind of had to talk about it and they were able to say yes okay this is fine uh with the exception of lutri but i mean this wasn't made for us it's kind of like making pseudo commander for other formats this isn't something i would like to see returned unlike partner with so yeah. and so to add to that um i have read a bunch of stuff on this and they have said that companion has very limited design space so it is unlikely we will see this very much in the future which right because makes me happy right because if a companion has restrictions you almost have to reuse some of those restrictions but i don't think that that's kind of the point of what making a companion is so uh, Alright, so Companion, not great for us, but I mean, each was a legendary creature, so we got more commanders. Mm -hmm. Alright, so then there's also a... let's talk about tone. The overall tone of the set. This was probably one of the first, what, how should I say, critiques of this set when it first came out. Players have complained that this set is kind of like a bad joke. 
I find these complaints kind of unjustified. Like, most magic sets are self-serious, and it's kind of nice to have a break from that. Besides from Silver Border. Like, I don't want Silver Border to be the only sets in which magic can kind of like be a bit more lighthearted. Uh, and also the complaints about the kaiju cards are a bit much. Like, okay, we already have the magic-y version. We already have the comic book looking showcase art that's also very magic-y. And like, even the ultra art kaiju arts with the Godzilla monsters, they still, they still have the magic name under them. So it's like, what do you want? Like, they're basically like just throwing the tiniest little tidbit towards the Godzilla universe. A lot of this kind of stems from is the complexity and the lack of understanding of the new mechanics right away. And just, I will be honest, it is kind of an overload of information. So I think it was. It was. That is definitely difficult. So I do kind of see... I do think the complaints, while not necessarily are unjustifiable, uh, or when you... Somebody can make the complaint, and then you can ask, like, why? And then as they get into it, I feel like they would kind of understand what they're saying is, like, they don't have, like, a good bias. So I, I understand, like, why you're initially making these arguments, but when you kind of, like, you know, take the time to understand and you know, take some time to digest, it's actually all not, not all that bad. So in the future, I just think this will actually be one of the more well-received sets, because sets like this tend to be some of more Magic's most popular sets when they really try to do something new. Watsi knows what they're doing. Like, they know some people are going to say that this is like a 1 or 2 out of 10, and that some people are going to say that this is a 8 or 9 out of 10. And that's what they want. They'd rather have something that players love and hate than something that's mediocre and forgettable. All right. So last thing is reprint value-wise for this. Nothing. I mean, <laughs> personally, I didn't mind that. Just because, like, core set is up next. And that's actually where we do get a lot of those, like, nicer reprints. Like, Last yep. two years, we've gotten some pretty good ones in both Corset 2019 and 2020. Um, and we had Commander 2020 come out alongside this product, so we got those reprints in there. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not too sad that like there wasn't anything really great to like open value wise in here. Yep, I pretty much agree wholeheartedly. So, Guy, uh, wrapping up here. If you had to give a score for this set, what would you give it? I personally uh, would give it a 8 out of 10. I think 7 out of 10 or 8 out of 10 for sure. Because I do like how... I think the only reason why I'm saying like maybe 7 is just because of the execution of how it was all given to us. Uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff at the same time. And it's just really hard to like take in. So like, I just know that there were a few times as I was like looking at everything that I was very overwhelmed for like the first time looking at a magic set. So I was like, geez, I'm gonna take a break. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks fun and I'm actually really excited to build like a commander from one of these decks, like from the set. Like, I don't think that there's been one where I've been like, 
passionate about in quite a while that's been a new commander at least mm-hmm. all so. right sounds good to me well for all of you listening uh that's been our icoria set review thank you so much for watching we really appreciate all of you guys listening into this far we uh hope you're being safe we are the wizard staff podcast you can find us on youtube spotify and itunes guy if they want to call uh, you can us, send us an email look? at if you want to send us an email you can send us an email at the wizard staff 101 at gmail.com Find us on Twitter at the Wizard Staff 101, and then yeah, we have Instagram as well, which is also the Wizard Staff 101. Pretty easy. We try to make things easy <laughs> for you guys. Yeah, we try. All right. So with that, we're gonna say good night, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Peace.